We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 492 of the Barcelona Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Ian Hilton, and joining me again is the purest, as you can tell, and as I've been saying for the last few weeks, with the stuff that's been going on in my, we'll say, face region, the opportunity to get off camera with the pure certainly is an invitation. So if you're watching on video, just put us in the background and listen like you do, or pop in any of the podcast apps or anywhere you might be putting stuff just in your ears and listen to us over there. But either way, whether you're watching on YouTube, whether you're listening anywhere you find your podcast, I have to welcome, as always, back to the show, The Purist. How's it going, Jaleel? It's going well, thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. It's been a little while. I've been quite enjoying the less lesser football, to be honest. It's been very intense over the past uh, year, so the little break that we've had has been quite nice. But yes, ready and raring to go again and looking forward to, to the new season. Well, I was excited to have you on last Thursday and last Friday and Saturday and Sunday because we were supposed to record when Usmane Dembele was holding that PSG shirt. So I had something to use as the as the JPEG for the image or I mean, or as the, for the show and yeah. for something to kind of say, OK, it's the end of the era. How do we cap this off? But because Dembele, PSG and Barcelona all refused to get something done and they refused to push this along, something that we know is still a certainty, we're going to talk with the idea that Usman Dembele, regardless of the blockade of the move at the moment, that that is all going to happen. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about why Jaleel's on the show, and that's to talk a little bit about the nuance of the different tactics we saw, the styles, even the simple formation that we saw from Xavi. So with the Gampere Trophy match left tomorrow for the preseason, that's it. Then it's Liga begins. We have seen a number of different things from Xavi's team in the preseason. And again, I'm trying to figure out what's real, what's purely experimental. I think that's what again, our job is today. So it was a 4-3-3 against Arsenal and AC Milan and a four-man midfield against Real Madrid with Pedri, Gunuin, Romeu, and De Jong the four. We haven't seen Xavi at all due to a back injury. And, you know, it's interesting because I wonder how much he changes some things. But the big question that we start with, Jaleel, do you think the way that Xavi is going to regularly set up his team, so not speaking about specific personnel, but the average way that Xavi sets up his team, do you think that changes that much with or without Dembele between this 4-3-3 and the box midfield? I doubt it. I think the, the difference in those systems generally is based upon 
the opponent and not necessarily on, on Barcelona um, themselves and the personnel that's available. Obviously, that has some impact, but I think generally last season when Xavi switched between those systems, it wasn't, it wasn't because of, of, you know, necessarily because of, of the players that he had, but because of the spaces that he wanted to exploit that the opponent were leaving. So, you know, typically, you know, against the, the sort of five of the back systems, he'd, he'd play the three box three, and then against the four of the back systems, it would be more of a the standard sort of four three three or two three five, whatever. And yeah, so I think generally, um, you know, Dembele or no Dembele, he's going to play a wide right winger. And, you know, then depending on the opponent and how they're going to press, you know, that build up shape is going to change. But, but ultimately, it will either be a, a wide left winger plus, you know, a high eight, high interior in Gunduan or Pedri or whoever. Or, you know, you retain that profile in the eight and then you just have Balde basically operating as a, as a left winger, I think. You know that's that's that dynamic is going to continue into into next season. I think. Yeah, I talked a little bit on the the last show I did about AC Milan and the fact that Balde was, in my opinion, the best player on the field for Barcelona, and he was the only first team player that didn't even have a full run out of a half. He's the only one, as in a first team player, who came on and then left the game, and yet he still managed to be, in my opinion, in thirty some minutes, the best player that Barcelona had. And I think this could have happened whether Dembele was around or not. I think you're going to see a emphasis and a flip where the space that is going to be explored in transition is going to more rarely or more regularly be on the left side through Balde. Because as, as I said, and I've heard you say, the principle this year is really going to be for Balde, especially it's, it's a matter of how comfortable can he get in numerical disadvantages up the field. As in when he has space, that being Balde and he attacks it, he might be attacking with just Lewandowski against four players backtracking. But Xavi would much rather get him up there and get the ball up there and then see what happens than to try to slowly build up as always. Like having him cut it back just doesn't make sense for Xavi. And I think that's one of the things that people criticize Xavi about, where it seems antithetical that his team, I mean, a Barcelona team would be so vertical but as we've talked about before, I mean, that is what has made Ousmane Dembélé, in theory, the idea of Dembélé, so essential to that system. And that is a chaotic, chaotic verticality that he adds. And it also brings up the, the discussion point about rumors this week about Ansu potentially gone again. But I don't think, well, let me, I can answer that one. I don't think that one is about style and preference and anything like that. But the Neymar rumors, while they are also not about style or preference or anything like that, in theory, they could be, but I don't know. As much as you'd like to galaxy brain this whole thing, Ansu and Neymar, when you see those names, that is about wage bill, that is about agents, and that is about the business side of football. I would imagine so, yeah. Um, and I think the, the, the reality of the situation is that we're looking at a, a season which, assuming, I, I mean, I'm, I think I'm not going out on a limb to say that Neymar won't be at Barcelona next season, um, and that Ansu Fati will. But regardless, the reality is that that Balde, in the absence of Dembele, is really going to have to take on quite a massive responsibility. And I think we sort of touched upon this last season, at the back end of last season, when we were talking about this vertical system from Xavi and whether a, a left winger needed to be signed. And and the person that is fulfilling that role is Balde. And, and you know, as you point out, if, if the sort of overload to isolate strategy continues, which 
I assume it will, you know, rather than it be a left-sided build-up switch over to, to Dembele, it's, it's going to be a, a right-sided build-up switch over to Balde, which we saw already against against United in the Europa League, second leg uh, especially. That was that was a heavy, you know, part of, of the, the strategy that day, and I think it's going to maintain, it's going to continue to be, and, and that does put a huge burden on Balde, whether he can live up to that responsibility or not I, I i'm not sure but um in terms of you know like you say the the ability to 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 exploit space essentially we talk about xavi's system being mostly about just creation and exploiting space in in the loss of dembele you've lost your biggest space exploiter and the next person on that list now probably is balde which is which is kind of crazy coming from where he was at the start of last season for me it's not enough actually, and that's why, you know, I, I caused a bit of a stir on Twitter when I said that Dembele's loss was kind of a step backwards for the squad, and I, I maintain that just because of the profile that he is and, you know, that ability to exploit space, which the whole system is based around. For me, just having Balde do that, especially when he's going to be left back, you know, at the start of build-up patterns a lot of the time, um, is not enough, and I, I, I would prefer to have somebody in the front three who who is more comfortable in in bigger spaces essentially i think the game is becoming a lot more compact in the first phase in terms of the press and the space is almost always in the big games behind the, the opposition line so you know to have that dembele type threat is essential but you know without going down that road too much it, it kind of now falls onto the the, the hands of balde and, and potentially abde as well and yeah, we'll see how they do. I, I I do have my reservations. I've got to admit. With Dembélé, it's so interesting though because we're talking about again the idea, the the theory. Even last year, when you saw that he's Xavi's admitted that he's become an essential part of his project, he really enjoys what Dembélé is, what he provides. But beyond the eye test, just even the numbers, you can replace eight goals and nine assists from a winger in your season. Two of those assists, by the way, came against Victoria Pilsen. So not to throw those out, but kind of almost throw those out a little bit. You had two assists in the Liga from against Real Valladolid when Real Valladolid were getting shellacked by Barcelona 4 nothing at the beginning of the season. And other than that game against Athletic Club with a goal and three assists in last October and like the, the middle of October when Dembele was really playing well and Barcelona were getting results any way they could in the first half of the season. And how much have we really seen from Dembélé, especially in big matches too as well? Like when the lights got brightest, Dembélé has never showcased an ability to kind of rise, rise above that. And he continues to be, I think for you and I, it's, it's so odd because I'm not pushing back on the idea. And I actually agree with you. I'm just not as good as, at getting hate as I used to be on, on the internet uh, the way you are now. So, so welcome to the party. But I, I feel like I agree with you that Xavi's system does take steps back without Dembele as far as style and the way he wants to play. But it's kind of the argument I always make about Rafinha and what the purpose of Rafinha is. And we saw the same thing in the preseason. If you just narrow Dembele and Rafinha down to goal contributions, giving just goals and assists and hockey assists and things, then Rafinha is certainly as valuable or more, more valuable than Dembele, of course. But as I said, that's why people are arguing about Rafinha and saying, I'll oh, kick him out. Like He's not good enough. He's done. Because again, all Rafinha seems to be able to provide is his goal contributions, which again, I know is the whole point of it. But stylistically, 
Xavi basically says, okay, if we get a goal or two over the course of a few weeks from Rafinha and they go in at the right times, then I'm, you know, we're taking the results. And when Rafinha scores or assists, you are winning games one nothing, and you are winning games two one, or or you're luckily getting by with two nothing with a late goal. And when Rafinha is your winger, that's kind of what's happening. And Dembélé is the possibility, the potential of winning four nothing, of 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 really running away with it, of of inflicting your style and your personality on the opposition. And, and it's such a weird thing, right? Because I think you and I both come from a very romantic idea of the way that there, there's not say there's a perfect way to play because there isn't, but with this team and this personnel and the thing that Xavi is trying to build, there is something that's going to be beautiful or can be beautiful every time. And yet we watch the AC Milan game and there's this cognitive dissonance about, but maybe Xavi just going to go, not to say purposely one nothing, but maybe this team is still a team that's built in the one nothings, in the fight and defend and work hard and and all that little the nuance of ball retention in the final third, that is all great and dandy. But again, Araujo might be the player of the season <laughs> because that might really be who Xavi's team is going to be this year, with or without Dembele. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. 
What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Yeah, I think people have this idea that, and this is something that I've sort of been fighting on, on Twitter recently as well, is that the idea that the coach can create sort of this perfect system and although Rafinha is a great player, and he can be used potentially differently in a different way to get more out of him. The reality is that in space, quality-wise, he is a step down from Dembele's maximum potential. And in order to win games 3 or 4-0, like you're saying, you just need quality footballers. It's really that simple. People try and you know come up with, oh, the coach hasn't created this perfect system that, that can do this and do this and automation and all the rest of it. Sometimes you just need great players. You look at the great Barca teams that have dominated and won games by those margins in the past. It's because they've had Ronaldinho's and Neymar's and Eto's and Henri's and David and you know? And we're talking about Balde's and Abde's and, and, and even Rafinha's, who I would argue isn't at that level of just pure, um, you know, decisive quality. And so, you know, I think... It might be the case, like you're saying, that that until that quality is in the team, um, that then you have to you have to be okay with with winning the one nils and and the goal contributions from a Rafinha from that that area of the pitch are very valuable until you can start pushing the envelope with with elite elite quality, which is is what Barca fans kind of expect from from players that aren't that. And yeah, so for me, it's 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 a lot simpler than than it is often made out to be. I think Rafinha can be a great footballer, and I think I do think that you know, if you if you get in a creative right right back who can overlap and ask him to do a slightly different job, then you, we might even be able to see more out of him consistently. But in a, in a pure qualitative sense, give him the ball and make something happen, please. He's not as good. Um, and, and so the team suffers a little bit because of that. Well, you said a word there about doing your job that I, I kind of want to latch on to because another idea that you and I, I think seem to overlap on is that with the freedom that Xavi allows his top, top players in his system, it is kind of interesting that we'll say Xavi's system is also built with this idea that I want to give my best players, the top tier guys who are elite at their positions, I want to give them freedom and allow them to fully express themselves and if everybody else does their job to the letter, to the T, then we can have positive results. One of the things that I've liked about Oro Romeu so far, I want to continue to dive in and think about him as well. I, I might have, I've been working on a thing on the side as well that you can look out for on the channel or on the podcast shortly. But Oro Romeu seems to be the guy we thought he was, if that makes sense, at Girona. At Girona, he allowed others to have freedom and he did his job to the letter. And at Barcelona early on, the, the Arsenal game created the memes about, oh, without Busquets, now Barcelona has completely fallen apart. But 
based on the Real Madrid and AC Milan matches, which again, it's a preseason, nobody cares, but also don't care about a result where Arsenal's in full, almost in, in regular season form, ready for the community shield and Barcelona is starting their, their preseason. So don't get at me with, with all those goals if you're not also going to recognize the, the goose eggs that came up against Real Madrid and AC Milan. So again, either care about the goals or don't, I don't want to hear it. But the, the point I'm, I'm making there is against AC Milan, yes, goals came through, but you, you saw that Xavi, and I want, we're going to talk about the press at the end, but there was a lot of experimentation. I will say that. There was a ton of experimentation in that midfield with Orhumeu stepping on the field for the first time for Barcelona. And then against Real Madrid and against AC Milan, I saw a lot less of that experimentation. It was a lot more of the same patterns of play and that we saw from Barcelona last year with Busquets. And we are seeing, and I know you talked about Diang before, we are seeing more freedom, more expression from Dembele, uh, from Dembele, from De Young in the preseason. And we know that, that Pedri had that green light last year, but he also has that green light deeper in the field now too for Romeo in a way that Busquets, again, with the ball, with long passes, with horizontal passes, just his accuracy solved problems for you when Barcelona had the ball in a way that or Romeo, that's not his game. So those horizontal passes are going to be coming a lot more from De Young and Pedri and a lot of buildup. And again, we're transitioning to Pedri in a second. But the, the, the TLDR of that whole thing that I'm saying now is that Pedri, De Young, Balde, trying to think. I mean, Demele was on that list. Those are players that are allowed freedom. That if, if they play just fully to the potential of what they can do, not even what they're supposed to, but what they can do, then Barcelona can be flying high because, again, Orumeu, I mean, Araujo is Araujo, sure. But even Lewandowski, like, what are you supposed to do? Where are you supposed to be? If you're there where you're supposed to be, Lewandowski, he's going to score the 30 goals that he's expected to, to score. Gabi the same way. That's why Gabi started in that four-man midfield. What is Because he's given explicit instructions. And if Xavi, or that being Xavi, but if Xavi gives Gabi the instructions as that inside forward and, and Gabi does his job, that makes Barcelona better because Gabi supports Pedri as the right interior and De Jong in behind him. I mean, and, and Kessie, I think, was an example of a player who was kind of caught in between. Because he liked to free range up near the box. Like if you allow him just the freedom to kind of be that late man runner and to, to, to find the game, then he can have success. But the problem was the role that he needed to have was one that was extremely disciplined and maybe necessarily didn't fit him and, and wasn't exactly what Xavi needed in that position. So I, again, I'm, I'm interested to see how uh, we're also seeing in the preseason too. I'm interested to see how, certain players kind of fall in those different pots and what responsibilities they have. Because again, that is the great Serginho Des problem. I talked about it after the AC Milan thing, but that is a player that needs freedom. And I said it before, there's a good player in there. There still is. I'm not saying I believe in him because he's an American or, well, he plays for the U.S. when he's American, but it's not that I don't believe in him. It's that he needs to be a free right back. He needs to have a big 34-year-old tackling English center back, right, right center back right next to him to protect him. And he has to have a defensive midfielder there to protect him as well, because he's a player that does not do well in positional play in this is what you have to do. This is your job and go forward at these times, defend at these times. Gino Des has to basically be a freestyling right back upfield and then know that, hey, we're not making you press. We're not making you do anything elaborate as a right back defending. You just come back here and defend a flat back four or a flat back five and defend that way. 
And I think that is what makes Des struggle so much because he is a personality and wants to be one of the green light, Balde, De Young, Pedris. But he's not ever going to be that at Barcelona. He's always going to be asked to be a right back with a specific job. And, and again, I think that when any player comes in, I'm now beginning to ask that question. Inigo Martinez, when you see him, very much like Christensen, he's potentially going to thrive because he is function over freedom. And if you put the players in different pots like that, I, I think, again, if you can get enough out of your freedom players with the function players, then that is the best way forward for this team to succeed. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it, actually. And and I think that Javi's whole philosophy, and, and this has been touched on by, by other analysts and by myself, is that it, it is it is very Cruyffian in the purest sense. And, and the, the idea of Cruyff's positional play was not because Cruyff was a genius and he thought, I have the solution to football and I'm going to, if we all stand in these positions, then we're going to win. The point was that he wanted to create time and space for his best players. Because when he was a player, that's what he needed to thrive. And so he himself, as a player, Cruyff, had a lot of freedom um, in, in order to, to, to make a difference because the, the quality players make a difference. And that philosophy has, has carried very strongly into Xavi's philosophy, which is not so rigid and strict to say, okay, we're going to set up exactly like this and these are the patterns that we're going to create. Rather, I want to create an environment that allows my game changers, my elite players, that can make the difference to thrive. And and exactly, they are now De Jong, Pedri, and yeah, Valde, pretty much, which, which, which is interesting. And I think... The reason why Rafinha is not seeing his full potential right now is because he's not in that in that bracket. Essentially, you know, he's not the the team isn't being built around him, and it will be interesting if Barcelona don't sign another forward, whether he will have to gain more prominence. And I think he will personally. I think that if you want to get the most out of this front line, you have to basically realise that Rafinha is going to need to be become one of those freer players and start to put people around him that, that suit him better and that allow him to, to come inside. And, you know, we talked about all of it before. So yeah, really interesting way of putting it. And I think it, it does get to the heart of, of what this team is about and why also when you lose a player like Dembele, who was one of those green light elite you know, game changes that, that it hurts the, the level of the team. Well, it's interesting because we know that philosophy wise, I don't want to get too into the weeds with this, but we know that Cruyff, a lot of the ideas that he brought to Barcelona as a manager were contrived from his time with the Netherlands and with Ajax, even more so than his time with Barcelona. Because I do look back to the years when he was with, with FC Barcelona, looking at that team. And he was a freedom player along with Johan Niskins, quite a bit, as well as Manuel Ansenzi. Those, he was another attacking midfielder, actually, and they did play kind of with... Now, Niskins was a bit of a box-to-box, but that guy had a good creative foot. I mean, he was playing an interior role in a way that we think of Iniesta playing an interior role next to Xavi. Like, he was a, he was a midfielder. That's what he was. But And Ansenzi kind of played a little bit as a 10. He was an attacking midfielder, but he had to do his job, too, sure. But those guys were very much, you know, freedom, cover for each other in the midfield. And then Cruyff was out there on the left doing his thing and, and having a ton of freedom. But then everyone else in that squad, the, 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 we'll say not to say the greats, but the good players in those teams that 
didn't win too much, but won the Liga, you know, broke that streak and all that stuff. So in the likes of Joaquin Rife, that guy was just a do your job midfielder to the letter, even the center forward at the time, the, the, the Peruvian striker, Hugo Sotil. He was very much a, I mean, he wasn't too tall and he was just fight. He battled and make things a mess up there in the box. Again, this is the league in the mid seventies. And then the right winger, Carlos Reyshack, who we know well as the guy who signed Messi on a napkin, but he was as functional a winger as you could get. Like that was what he was. He was not a freedom winger. He was a, what is my job? Let me do my job based on the system that we, we've been asked to do. And so again, I even look back to the teams that Cruyff played in and you can find the examples of the functional players and the players that kind of had to do their job. And you could also, again, chalk that up to talent. Again, players who have this genius, this, as I, you hear me use that word, you know where I'm transitioning now. So when you have those players, those genius players, you let them and you, you, you defend for them and, you, and you, you fight for them so that they can unlock games and they can do what you need to do. It's why the great Lionel Messi walks around for an hour <laughs> and wins you games at any level. And of course, he's doing it right now in MLS. But at, if he did it for Barcelona for the last three years of his career, the guy just gave up pressing, gave up, you know, he defended sometimes. And whenever he did, we're like, oh, yeah, Messi's defending. We're going to win this one. This is great. He would excite you when he defended. But the, the whole point was that Messi is such a valuable asset. Obviously, that <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not inventing the wheel there. But he's so important to what he can do when he's on the ball that you want to very much like an arcade video game. You want to keep his health bar as high as possible by working for him. So in a recent video, transitioning, not necessarily messy, but uh, I'll link the, the video you made in the show notes. You you talked all about Juan Roman Raquelme, a little bit about, sorry, I'm going to give away your spoiler here. It's been out a few weeks and in Thomas Muller, you talked about him and, you know, lovingly consider that being Raquelme, one of the last pure great number 10s. But what's funny is that I feel like there's a bit of a desire for a system to be able to support a player with similar responsibilities. And we're kind of seeing an uptick of that in, in modern football here. Because to me, it's an interesting problem for Barca about where to put Pedri as we talk about that. He's so essential in the buildup. He's the only midfielder that truly sets the tempo of a game the way that Tony Cruz does for Madrid. But on paper, Xavi and the eye test say that he should probably be the farthest midfielder forward because of the skill set that he has. With Gunawin actually adding quite the wrinkle to that situation in a good way, honestly. So, I mean, that is why Xavi went out and is, I, I truly believe, like so excited about, uh, about, about Gunawin. Like he's, he's so excited to have that midfielder in there. The question with Pedri is not, obviously it's can he stay healthy? That's number one. But questions two and three and four are all about where does he go? And when he's in those positions, where is not to say the most freedom allowed to him, but you cannot, you cannot give him too much freedom because then Pedri will run himself into the ground around the field. That is what he's going to do. He wants to be involved in everything. So how do you put little restraints on Pedri and take care of him on the field? Again, I'm not just talking about protecting him when he gets tackled. I'm saying we know that he's the best on the team at ball retention. So in theory, he should play deeper. But again, his final ball and his understanding of that pausa in the final third on how to redirect a back line that is moving horizontally, not vertically, but how he moves a back line horizontally better than everyone else on the team as well. In theory, he should always be in the final third to do that to, to, the, best, to the best effect. It's a reason why, too, Barcelona last year strong-sided their left side. So where you had Gabi, Balde, and whether it was Ansu at the time or Farron or whoever was there on the left wing, 
you put the largest number of players on the left, and then you had that long ball, usually from DeYoung, that would come across to Pedri, who was isolated, usually in the middle of the field. So Pedri, do you want to strike it? Do you want to take a shot on goal? Or do you want to continue that on? Where now, in theory, you have a 1v1 between the left back and the right winger. Because again, that, that left center back is going to be forced to come to Pedri. And that is a huge responsibility in the final third to put him at an island like that and trust him that if he loses the ball in that situation, you're done. You're dead to rights because it is going to be a three on two or a three on one coming the other way. But Pedri so very rarely bundles and fumbles that situation because once you get it over to the right winger, now you're in the proper rest defense. Now you're in the proper defensive shape to make sure that once Dembele or Finia or whoever is on that right side, once he loses the ball, you're now set up to try to get it back. Yeah, it's it's going to be a very, very interesting story of development of Pedri, really, because, you know, from, from his first few games in the team when he was out on the left and Koeman and, you know, he'd occasionally play as sort of a double pivot, you know, it was it was very much a, a strict position that, that he was playing. And, and, and even last season, there were games where, you know, he was playing as the false winger, you know, against Bilbao in that game that you that you referenced, he was a false winger, um, and he's he's often been sort of just pinned to to a, a a function essentially, and obviously he does it very well. But like you like you rightly say, it sort of feels like a bit of a waste of his his incredible all round ability. And unlike De Jong, who you know is wants freedom but really is contributing mainly in the, the, the first two phases and, you know, isn't that bothered about, you know, crashing the box and all the rest of it. He can do it, but, you know, it's not, it's not an elite part of his skill set. With Pedri, it, it sort of is, and not necessarily the box crashing, but sort of just being around the box and, and, and creating. So it is a very interesting question for Xavi. And what I can sort of only foresee is that it becomes this this midfield becomes more even more fluid which is it's, it's going to be interesting really because in terms of philosophy it 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 would be a divergence from Xavi away from the way for example that that Guardiola has gone although it because Guardiola has De Bruyne and people would say that he's free and whatever but but De Bruyne operates in the final third he's stripped of all build responsibility whatsoever um, that's given to Bernardo and was given to Gundogan and, and Rodri and all the rest of them. To have a player that, that really does both in this kind of positional system has only really ever been done that I've seen by Messi in, in Pep's Barca. And and he was the, 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 the entire system at that point, you know, complete freedom. And it would be very, very interesting for Xavi to go down that route rather than the more popular uh, these days roots of the, the, the much more rigid, sort of strict role-based approach um, that, you know, Arteta is doing and that all the, all the Pep disciples are doing, basically. You know, you can watch, it's uh, very Deserbian as well. I was watching Southampton in the Championship playing, you know, very strict Deserbian football. It's very in vogue. And the only person who's really doing the opposite at the top level right now is Ancelotti, and so the question becomes, could Pedri become sort of a Modric figure, a, a sort of completely uh, autonomous kind of um, centralised playmaker, essentially? And that would be fascinating. It really would. 
I, I, I struggle to see it just because of the roots, the, the strong positional roots that, that Xavi has come from. But if you want to unlock that for Pedri, then that's kind of the route you have to go down. And it would be it would be really fascinating, I've got to admit. Yeah, I think the criticism that you hear for Xavi is actually a similar criticism that you hear for pretty much, as you said, every other Guardiola disciple or, or big manager that isn't named. I, I'm going to throw Antonio Conte and his systems in there too, but uh, along with Ancelotti, in its control. Because when Barcelona don't control a game, when they, they had less possession twice in the preseason so far, and when, when they're not controlling a game at all times, then it feels like they're getting a, a away from what they do best and what they, what they should, in theory, be beating a, an opponent with. And that, again, is the whole, the whole Pedri issue, is that Pedri helps you control a game better than everybody else in, at Barcelona. And I think, again, the more you see from De Jong, and if De Jong is one of the best midfielders in the world, then that, to me, says that Barcelona have controlled quite a bit. But if he goes on wantabouts and, and you don't know where he is from match to match, then Barcelona likely have not controlled these games. And, and what's interesting, too, about the way that you know, football is changing as well for even Real Madrid, that we, I, I watched them in the preseason, and they still have the same problem. Even with that midfield four, like we know that Kamavinga, and we know that Chouamani, and we know that Bellingham, and we know that Fede Valverde are fantastic. They are all under 25, or most of them under what? Yeah, under 23. And they are incredible. I think Valverde is what, 24, 25 now. But anyway, they're all awesome. But none of them control a game like Cruz and Modric do. And when you see those two, the old hats, still come on the field, Real Madrid, it seems like they take a breath. And whether they're up in a game or down in a game, it, it feels like things are a little more simple for everyone else and straightforward. And they control a game. And I think as much as you argue about Barcelona, about how they struggle when they don't control, and we saw in the second half of last season that it's, it's true. Once Dembele and Pedri went down in, in, in I guess, the final third of last season, the results didn't follow. I know they had already won the Liga, and I do throw that as the most important piece that they did take their foot off the gas in Spain. But the results, again, weren't happening. Barcelona weren't controlling against the, the likes of the bottom third of the table, and that was a concern. You know, And again, I throw that away. And now back to the number 10 thing a little bit here. For me, Lopez is getting a spot in the squad. And why is he getting a spot in the squad? Is it pure talent? What is his purpose like why is he going to be important for Xavi and not important I just mean important enough as the 23rd or 24th or 25th man on the on the on the squad roster but still important enough a player to be in the first team not in the first team dynamic but in the first team because when I look at him he really is a pure number 10 to me is he a winger is he a secondary striker he doesn't have the scoring instincts of a player like Griezmann who obviously isn't a winger a natural striker and for me, Lopez, though, unlike Griezmann, is definitely a midfielder. That is why you kind of say he's a number 10. Like, he's an attacker. You can see that. But it's also quite obvious, regardless of how good his preseason was, you don't base the function of your front five on a 20-year-old who is your third best 19 or 20-year-old high interior midfielder, right? Like, that doesn't happen. But for me, Lopez, to me, is interesting because he is kind of a throwback to as pure of a, a number 10 as you could possibly get. His ball retention isn't as good, I think, as, as again, those pure number 10s that you build a team around. But yeah, it is interesting to me that Xavi is prioritizing keeping a player like that in his 25. Like, he doesn't have to. Like it, I, mean, I, I mean, for FFP reasons, maybe he will. <laughs> but the, 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 the point is that, you know, he could find some other player from the academy. Like, why is it for me, Lopez, instead of Mark Casado, who does play a different role and does fit a different thing? But Xavi's like, oh, no, we're good on that 
on the Costado position at the defensive midfield at the pivot spots, but I will take as many high interiors as you could possibly give me. That is why they still want Fernando Silva. He is still the dream for Xavi and the club. And, and I guess I should say the last 48 hours have turned that into a dream that it, to a dream that is shut down. But regardless, so speaking of that pursuit, I, I don't know. Like for me, Lopez, in theory, I think can solve some of those holes that Xavi feels like he still has in his team. Is that where Barcelona needs to be putting their money? I mean, or for Bernardo Silva would have been a loan with a mandatory buy. So really their money for next summer even. Is that really where they should still be putting their resources here? It seems like Xavi really is prioritizing having high interiors that he trusts. I mean, more and more and more, as many as possible. I think Xavi, to simplify it, just cares about talent. He, he really, really cares about just having the highest quality possible. And he's willing to put faith into quality over players that are just going to do a job. I, I think Dembele is the perfect example of that, that, that Xavi, despite the inconsistency and despite the, the frustration and everything, he saw just pure ability that can take you to another level. And he's willing to back that more than some managers will at the top level who would prefer players who are just going to sit down and take his instructions. If I'm completely honest with you, it seems to me that Xavi is less interested in, in it, this might be controversial, but in sort of just all-out coaching, as in I'll sit you down and, t- and make you a better player. I don't think he's interested in doing that. I think he wants to take great players and form an environment that allows those great players to thrive. This isn't like... I don't think Xavi is a clock in terms of he's going to sign these sort of like under-the-radar players and then maximise their ability. It, it doesn't come across to me that he's interested in that. He just wants pure quality. And having having been a player that's played at the top level, I think he recognises that that is what is the difference, ultimately. So I think when he sees flashes of brilliance, like we saw from Firmin Lopez, that you might get a player who's a better who's you know better at ball retention or who might be a bit more disciplined or whatever but if they can't produce that moment then it feels to me Xavi isn't interested in in betting on them and that's the 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 reason why he wants Bernardo Silva in my opinion is that he's a supreme footballer and you know I've seen conversations in the media about oh should we get La Celso because you know of, of age and and you know specific tactical dynamic and all the rest of it and, you know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm going to be the tactics guy and I'm the one reducing it all to, you know, A is better than B. But sometimes in football, it, it can be that simple. And I think with Bernardo Silva, it is just about getting a, a, a high, high, high quality footballer in over multiple positions. And, and so, yeah, I, I think, you know, in the long term for me, that is what seems to be Xavi's main interest is, is to get a higher quality as possible and then create an environment for that to thrive. As opposed to, I've got all these intricate little pieces. And I want to knit together this, this this perfect system, if you like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think too. Like, I want to push back on this idea that, especially the Cancelo Fresneda debate has kind of kickstarted yeah, this all exactly. this week. That there's just there's so many people I see who are complaining and saying Xavi doesn't bet on the youngsters. He doesn't bet on this or that. And I think, to, not to defend Xavi, but like, a look at the average age of the squad. Like, start there. And to the point that you're making about talent, that Xavi wants to know who he has in these players. Like he, he wants to make sure that he can get the, as much talent as he possibly can. So Cancelo, if people are questioning what's happening off the field, but like to bring him in, Xavi knows what he is capable of. 
and that is the play that he's trying to go for in this in this moment. And again, like that that weird thing that you said about like what Xavi's looking for in that top level talent is like go don't don't get at Xavi for Cancelo or trusting Alonso in these situations instead of like again the other option for the left back spot. And again, Alex Valle is actually still in the first team dynamic right now. He hasn't been sent back to Barca Athletic yet. So before you say, well, Alonso is the backup left back for which he is. If Cancelo is signed, then Alonso maybe isn't the backup left back any left back anymore. Maybe Xavi does agree with you that he should be farther down the depth chart. But again, for financial reasons that I talked about many times last year, that is why Alonso was brought in because he accepted a, a low salary. And in theory, he was as good of a player as you were going to get at that number. And that is why Barcelona brought him in. Like that is why he came and that is why he's still around because he also accepted a renewal that was a low salary. That's why Sergio Roberto is still getting game time. And I also think Sergio Roberto and Alonso, as I kind of said, I think I, I tweeted this before. I don't think they're the same. I actually think Roberto is much better than Alonso uh, in a way that I trust. But th- that's beside the point. The point is that the idea that Xavi doesn't trust youngsters, I don't, I, I'm assuming that those avatars, that those that, that's coming from on social media, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or TikTok, I'm assuming that those avatars are also teenagers themselves. And they believe that a full team of teenagers can win big trophies. Because again, like, don't watch Lamine Yamal. And then 15 minutes later, read a rumor about, about Cancelo. And then tell me that Xavi doesn't trust youngsters. Like, because again, to your point about that special talent, Lamine Yamal is a special talent. And Xavi sees that. And Xavi knows that if that guy in the future is going to become an elite player, then Barcelona are going to spot like they're in a good spot to have that kind of guy reach the heights that he could reach. And so, of course, at 16, it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of ups and downs. Like, again, with the Ansu thing, like going back to that, like I still say a 20 year old forward with that striking ability, you do not get rid of that player. You do not sell Ansu Fati. And it's as frustrating for him as him not getting enough minutes. Listen, if Jorge Mendez and, and he are saying, hey, I, I don't think it's going to work. I also like really push back on this idea because Ansu wants to stay at Barcelona. Xavi believes in his innate high level potential. I know he does. Like you can tell when Ansu strikes a ball and the way that Xavi talks about him. But lastly, like Jorge Mendez and Ansu, this is all getting kickstarted again, I believe, because of financial fair play. I really think that the idea of registering players and all the things we keep hearing about is there funding coming from Qatar? Is there funding coming from the Barca Studio sale? And I think all those little things you're hearing in the background are what tie Ansu into these transfer rumors. Because I know that Xavi and Ansu have a very open dialogue already about how much Ansu and what his role is with the first team. There is no way after three preseason games that Ansu is like, well, I don't think I'm going to be a part of the puzzle. I think Ansu knows exactly what part of the puzzle he is. If anything, if you watch that Amazon documentary, that was like the only thing that Xavi says to his players was like, hey, this is how much I trust you. This is what I want from you do what I want and you will play more. And I, I think it's very actually cut and dry as to what role players have in the team. And he is pretty open and honest about that. Like that is seemingly one of the few things that Xavi does with, with complete clarity for his players. So I, I do throw out that onto not saying rumors, but I give them credence because of the financial part of it. And, and that's it. I don't give him any credence to the relationship between Xavi and his playing time and all that stuff. Adding to that again, more excitement is again, do not give me your Cancelo energy if you do not give me your Noah Dervich energy. Like Barcelona are going out and they're looking to, he's going to reportedly go right to Barca Athletic, 16-year-old, will call him a wonderkin from Freiburg, 
3 million euro deal with a 5 million in add-ons. I saw him a little bit at the U17 euros in attacking midfielder with a left foot. Again, Barcelona, it seems like, are just trying to add and stockpile as many of those top, top talents. And listen, they've added young players before. Like Alan Halilovic was a big 16-year-old Croatian, the next Croatian Messi, and there was a lot of buzz around him. It doesn't always work out, certainly for young players. It doesn't. But Darvich was a name I already knew and was a name that has, does have that top, top level talent potential. Again, it, I'm not saying it's going to work out for him, but I'm saying that, that Barcelona did grab and sign one of the potential future superstars. Again, for the gold, if you ever read that gold.com top 100 talents, how many of those work out? Six, seven. So I'm like, I'm not saying, like, I'd say that Darvish or Lamine Mall, one of those two top three attacking forces at the U17 euros is going to work out. Just one of the two of them or zero of the two mathematically are going to work out. But the point is that Barcelona are saying, hey, if we have the best high level attacking youth players, we're going to hit on some of these. And that is, again, a philosophy that you're saying that Barcelona don't do it, but it seems like they are. So I, I just like, I, I just, let's call it the hypocrisy of teenagers, but it's just <laughs> like, that's, that's what I'm feeling. It's like, I would be excited about Fresneda. I've been saying Arnau Martinez for, a, for months now, for months I've been saying how I really do think Arnau Martinez is a special right back when it comes to young fullbacks in, 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 the, in football. And for Fresneda, he's just 18 and already showed you enough from an 18 year old that if that's who he is, you've got a good right back. And his ceiling, of course, I think is, uh, he's two years younger, so maybe a little higher than Arna Martinez. But again, I understand why Xavi wants Cancelo in that role, because he has teenagers in front of him. There might be, if, if Rafinha goes down, and you can't really trust Ferran Torres at that point, at that uh, on the right side, or let's say Lewandowski and Rafinha both get hurt the same day. Ferran Torres is going to be your, your center forward. And is it Lamine Mall is your right winger? Who's going to defend for him? Like, you, I guess you could put Kunde back there, but would you rather have, I mean, are you going to have Lamine Mall than Fresneda behind him? Are you going to do that? Like for three weeks, if, if Lewandowski and Rafinha could both go down at the same time. And I, I just, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't know. Like there's, there's quick one or two rolled ankles where there's these permutations where it's like, oh, there's a lot of teenagers on that field at the same time. A lot of 18 to 19 year olds. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial 
plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code program. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think there is a, there is a bit of a weird obsession, on, uh, especially with the, the um, discourse on Twitter about, about signing young players. And I get it, like you, I, I totally get it. But you know, if you want to com- if you want to build a competitive team, and there's there's world class talent out there like Cancelo is, and versatile world class talent, it's just it's just no brainer. I, sp- I I know that there's you know questions about his mentality as well, but he he's a winner. He's won things, and and that all you know these intangibles that people talk about is a bit of a meme, but you know these are all reasons why you back players that have have literally shown you what they can do over the potential sometimes sometimes and in in this specific case the Cancelo case I'm I'm pro Cancelo because I just think it makes sense in terms of the versatility especially but at the end of the day you know that you're getting a a a world-class talent and and that that's how you win things with world-class talents you know all of last season Buzz fans were complaining to me that you know the team was too mediocre and not good enough to compete in Europe and all the rest of it and at the same time, you're telling me we should sign this 18-year-old, you know, to, to become the starting fullback. It's, that doesn't make sense. You, you're not going to win the Champions League. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, especially if, you, if you've if you got four or five of these guys. So if you want to win the Champions League, which as, as so many bus fans do, or not win it, but compete at that level, you just need elite players. And, and, and that's what Cancelo is. It's what Bernardo Silva is. And... It's nice to have those youth prospects in the background, but they they should be in the background. Right now, Barca want to improve the, the starting eleven and not sign background players, and I think that's that's the right way to go, personally. Yeah, I mean, you're expecting Abde to be a full professional already. Like, exactly. You're, you're... That, that's what I was hearing when I said the team was weakened by Dembele's absence. I, I was hearing, oh, but Abde. Wait, maybe, but it's a big maybe. <laughs> And you know we have, how much have we actually seen of this guy that 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 lets us know oh he can do this against the best fullbacks in the world in a high pressure Champions League semi final situation yeah not really <laughs> I mean, you could say he had three big games and big moments last year like he had multiple big games he had like seven really really good performances and three of them came against like high level competition but again that's like playing for Osasuna in Spain in yeah. in, in, in a very petri dish of, of a situation so yeah. before you go. Let's talk about the press real quick. One of the themes of the preseason that I kept talking about is the idea of the depth drop-off that we we're kind of getting into here, which for the last few years has been at many positions. But to me in the preseason, looking at the squad now, it seems like we've narrowed that depth drop-off to only a few positions. Like not all of them, <laughs> just a lesser, a few of them. And I feel like Xavi set up his defensive setup with the exception of that completely nonsensical one nothing win over Madrid in the Copa del Rey last season, which we need to talk about that match again and more because <laughs> what an outcross of a, of a match for FC Barcelona and identity and all that stuff. But anyway, Xavi's defensive setup was based a lot on personnel last year. So which is why when he found that four man midfield working in January, he hung onto it for dear life. And he said, I, I know this works. It, my, my press looks good. I'm so happy with this. And until players got hurt, he just, yeah, he just as tightly as possible. And like I've said many times before, Without Pedri's ball retention and pressing abilities, Xavi was unable to adjust in the latter part of the season. Do you think, from what you saw in the preseason, do you think there's a way for Barcelona to continue to level up their pressing patterns this season? Or do you think that, again, last year was, not to say the best that we're going to see of it, but that without Busquets, that Barcelona's press 
all you can hope for is keeping it what it was last year, like keeping your head above water without drowning, without Busquets, then it might take a little longer to kind of, we'll say, get better and improve upon it. I, I really think that, you know, I mean, what, one of the big, big features of the press last year that, that we didn't get to see in preseason was Gavi because of how just relentless he is um, in terms of intensity and, and ground coverage, which is so, so massive. And, and obviously we didn't see that in preseason. So what we ended up getting was a less all or nothing press. It was more in the Manchester City mould, which is kind of let the opposition goalkeeper have it. And then we'll be in a compact block that presses sort of the, the, the full backs and the centre backs. But I, I do think that's probably a more sustainable way to do it anyway in general. And it will help players like Pedri who don't have the legs to press like Gavi does relentlessly on a on a on a opposition pivot or whatever um to just stay there rather than have to you know relentlessly go back and forth and every time you lose the ball because Barca do lose the ball quite a bit these days you know relentlessly press it just it's just it felt unsustainable to me alongside the you know hyper aggressive press from from you know sort of uh dead situations like goal kicks and everything else so, so yeah, it's hard to say because of because Gabby was so important. But I do think the press is potentially becoming more. I mean, y- you can hope that it will become more organised. Of course, uh, organisation should improve as the players get to know each other better. And I think De Jong and Romay were an excellent midfield uh, block in terms of physicality and, and and coverage and in discipline. But without without the, the madman and Gavi running, running around up top, uh, you're going to lose a little bit of intensity. Um, and so we'll see whether that returns when, when he comes back or whether, you know, Xavi is looking to be a little more conservative in that, that first wave of pressure. Yeah, I mean, I, I got a bold prediction here that come the Champions League, depending on who the opposition is, there will be patterns of play where you're going to be against a team that presses better than you. We saw, that, we saw Arsenal do this, and then we saw kind of what Xavi is his break glasses case for emergency kind of situation when a team presses to the level the Arsenal did. And that is to set up in formation that is going to try to get the ball back and win those 50-50s by having Ter Stegen hoof it up to Lewandowski. And Lewandowski might not win most of those balls. Like he's going to, ideally, against two center backs, lose most of those long hosts from Ter Stegen upfield. And Barcelona is going to rely on winning the second ball, which is, again, something that they... In theory, they don't feel like they're built to do that. Like Pedri is not a big man and Gabi is not a big man. I mean, I, I know they, they fight hard, but they just physically it doesn't seem like they're going to do that. But I, I think, again, in the Champions League, you could have results that come down to, against that elite competition, those kind of balls. Like, did that ball bounce the right way to Barcelona on that 50-50 when it was not, again, brought down by Lewandowski cleanly, but bounced off him, right? And now the ball is loose. Who's going to pick that up? If Barcelona picked that up, we know the verticality, we know ball day, we know that they're going the other direction. And if they lose out on that ball, now they still, that being the other team, one possession in Barcelona's own half of the field. And against elite competition, that puts you in a whole heap of trouble, like we saw for Arsenal. Like Arsenal, a lot of their goals were not scored through patterns of play or, or this crazy buildup. No, it was that Barcelona, they were not, say, pressed or outpressed, but they gave the ball away right at, at midfield because of an errant clearance or, or or not really fully clearing their lines and getting out and running in transition. Instead, they gave the ball away at midfield and elite teams who put you on the press like that are going to 
make you pay eventually. Like the ball is going to bounce the right way in that case. So I'm not saying that that's Barcelona is going to crash out of the Champions League. I'm saying that if Barcelona win those moments this year, then they potentially going to be moving on the Champions League. And it, it might be as redacted as it sounds, as simple as that. The ball might bounce their way the way it didn't last year. And things are going to work out because they're talented enough to play with the elite, but they still need things to go right to play with the elite. They can't just rely on their pure depth and talent because Barca just don't have that this year. But speaking of, well, I guess it's a depth of videos and talent. You did say, I want to roll credits before, you did mention something about purest idea of football when talking about Johan Cruyff. So again, I do want to roll credits there. And you know, you're doing your own self-promotion. But again, for those eight people, I think, who listen to my stuff or watch my stuff who are not aware of what you're working on, what do you got cooking? So interestingly enough, I've well, I've got a couple of preseason uh, tactical previews for different teams coming up. One of them is Barcelona, of course. The other is is Real Madrid, actually. So I, I am going to be looking at Real Madrid in an upcoming video and what they're doing with this new midfield diamond and with Bellingham as a ten. Um, I think it's pretty interesting. Ancelotti's become more interesting to me over the last you know few months or so. Kind of mentioned in this podcast, and that's probably spilling over from that. Um, and then in the upcoming season, I think there's just loads going on in football that, that is going to be very interesting to talk about. Lots of new managers, you know, I might take a look at PSG and what's going on over there. You know, in England, all sorts is happening with Klopp and, um, you know, Chelsea and, and Tottenham. So it's just, you know, festival of football as always. And I'm going to be trying to cover as much as possible uh, over on the on the YouTube channel. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited. And we're excited about La Liga as well. A reminder, too, that it, it starts before you know it. And what I'm excited about La Liga this year is that Villarreal, La Palmas, Mallorca, Real Sociedad, teams that, I say play the right way, but teams that try, that they want the ball and they want to do cool things with it. I feel like those teams added pieces and then some of the other teams in the Liga, they're just going to defend. And I feel like we kind of know who's who already again this year in the Liga. So there is something about that known commodity that makes it comfortable. Like, okay, this it feels like a continuation of certain teams have the same style they did last year. Now, again, you're adding Las Palmas, who's another team that I think has a really good shot of staying up because of the way they want to play and their ceiling. Their ceiling is like somewhere between 8th and 12th in the, in the table, right? That's like their ceiling. And I'm excited to have another team like that who's willing to do that. But again, yes, follow him down in the show notes below. Get a link to all his channels if you're not aware already. Does some really cool, uh, cool stuff over there. I hope you're enjoying what I've been doing in the preseason, but almost a reminder too that, yeah, as I continue to kind of work through the video portion of things, what I'm going to do for match reviews, people seem to have enjoyed these, we'll say audio only long podcast slash match reviews that I've been doing. So if that's what you want to keep seeing where they don't come right out after the game. They come out 10, 12 hours after I've been really able to work on the graphics and figure all that stuff out. If you're liking what you're seeing there, Give me some feedback on that because, again, it lets me put stuff out for the podcast listeners. It helps me do stuff for the, the video viewers and helps me do all that different stuff. So, yeah, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, Facebook group, uh, whatever, YouTube as well. That's easy stuff. I see all those comments as well, even if I don't respond. So I do see everything. I appreciate the feedback. Most importantly, with just a game pair of trophy left, thanks for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course,